What the footy? What the footy? What the footy? What the footy? Hi there, it's Paul, and you're listening to What the Footy, the podcast that takes football fans behind the scenes. Here is what I have lined up for you today. Gobsmack is the right word, right? So when Real Madrid said, hey, we've got that available, you guys want to try it as a digital collectible? We're like, hell yeah. This week's podcast is with Steve Medencia. Steve is the co-founder of Fantastic, a tech company that helps clubs, brands and athletes to engage with fans through disruptive technologies. In this episode, we speak about how technology and innovation is shaping football both on and off the pitch. From NFTs and digital collectibles to how fans engage with their club post-pandemic. From why brands love the Champions League as a product to the lessons that the Premier League can learn from the NBA. From Steve's first football fan experience that came with Lord Sugar to so much more. This is the What The Footy podcast with Steve Medincia. I hope you love it. Not like it, I hope you love it. So download, subscribe, rate and review and tell a friend to tell a friend. Let's go. Knew some other guys liked me, but I didn't know it was to that extent. Imagine being a kid in primary school, now it's a put in Powerful people and I think they need to recognise that, but then also they need to be represented the right way. Sport in general is nothing without fans. Uh, based on you know, one single source of revenue alone, that being the TV. Let's just win this to appease the fan. Yes, Steve, welcome to the What The Footy podcast. How are you doing today, man? It's an awesome day. I'm doing really well, thank you, really well. Nice, great to have you here. And uh, your business is quite a fascinating one, so I thought it'd be good to uh, to get you on so we could do a sort of futuristic Black Mirror type uh, sort of episode on the world of football today. That's uh, good, Paul. And uh, actually, I like your business as well, so happy to talk business and sport all day. <laughs> now, awesome. We'd like to start off the show with the what the footy question, which is, what is football to you, a business or a sport and why? Unfortunately for me, it's a business. I rarely get to be more okay. because I, I got involved in football at a very young age. And now when I go to a football match, I'm always looking at signage placement, hospitality, ingress, egress, you know, how they're treating the customers. And then I look at the match, it's a sickness. I think obviously it would be great to, now that I sort of know know where you stand, um, obviously with this podcast for me, it was all about sort of bringing and bridging the gap between the guys behind the scenes like yourself and and, and the fans themselves. And your business is all about connecting sport fans, and in this case, football fans uh, with their clubs. I'm a big believer in, in the famous quote by uh, whether it's Matt Busby or, or Jock Stein of football is nothing without <laughs> fans. Why is it so important for you to be able to connect uh, fans with their clubs and um, and sort of have that fan engagement? Yeah, it's a good question. I think I think fans are overlooked, if I'm honest with you. But my business partner, Simon and I, Simon Woolard, great guy, smart guy. You know, we thought from day one when we started this new startup that if you think of what sports can survive and what sports can't survive in the world none of them can survive without fans and simon's a massive fan i'm a massive fan of different sports um i said we you know i had that sickness of business when i go in somewhere but i am a fan 
And we just found it tougher and tougher to be global and connect with the sports you like around the world and stuff. And we just started looking at, you know, what everybody was doing. And there was like, you know, nobody that was really applying technology into connecting fans with the sports that were taking up a big part of their daily life. And we're like, we have to do that. That's what we have to do. So we just jumped into it. No, that's awesome. And just sort of in terms of you guys, are you... Are you sort of just yourself as a bit of a startup? Are you sort of VC back? Because just sort of looking at what players in the market are sort of doing from a VC and tech perspective, it almost feels like that sort of connectivity with fans is, has been really heavily focused on content and media. We see stuff like Dugout where where fans can sort of engage and go behind the scenes in apps. I think Russell Wilson has a big app out in, out in the States, uh, Trace Me, which, which was acquired What's, what's the big sort of trends that you're seeing now and what's sort of big about your business? Yeah, good, it's a good question. Here's the big thing that I see happening pre-pandemic and the pandemic has only accelerated that. Yeah. And that's the fact that these massive amount of fans that all the clubs have done a wonderful job of building on their social platforms. And of course those platforms are growing with TikTok and everything else. But you take those those massive amount of fans, 50 million, 100 million, some cases 200 million plus, they're now starting to recognize that they have to create one, better experience for those fans, two, control the environment that those fans experience, you know, their relationship with the team and the players, and three, monetize those fans. They have to make some money off this. 99.9% of those fans are never gonna come to the stadium. And of course, around the stadium, it's very tribal, the further away you get from the stadium, the less tribal it becomes because a fan might like two teams or three teams. Or you mentioned dugout, you know, they did the famous report where you get out to China and people like 5.2 teams, you know. So you in your tribe. Wow, yeah, no, that's big. And um, I think even just some of just on some of the points you just sort of mentioned there, do you feel as though obviously you work with quite a few clubs and it'll be good to know which clubs you, you sort of work with, if you're allowed to say, do you almost feel as though COVID has kind of helped these clubs to realise that they have to do more to connect with fans beyond the match day experience because I think for me what's been fascinating is how almost how fans are what's the word I'm looking for almost a thing whereby clubs are only starting to really do things which is it's just crazy to even imagine almost do things like the podcast do things like the behind the scenes sort of content and it's, it's a thing now whereby I was speaking of Kieran Maguire on, on the recent episode oh, yeah. and yeah. Um, even just even even just chatting with him and, and he, he said the message that clubs have realised that they no longer control the message. Like I support Arsenal and you look at our club in, in totality and really and truly from a content perspective, from an engagement perspective, it's really Arsenal Fan TV that controls that message. Do you feel this has been a wake-up call to, to clubs? I think it's been a wake-up call. I think it's been a punch in the face, quite frankly. And and the reason why is if wow. you stop and you think about the world right now, you know, sport doesn't survive without fans. I don't know how many of the footy matches you've watched that, you know, it, they're soulless without fans in the stadium. You know, there's no singing, there's no, you know, shouting, there's no anything. And it's just it's not the same environment. And if you think that's going to turn people on and have people tune in, you really are wrong. You really missed the boat on that. Yeah, and I think I think even just on that, and just jumping back to some of the earlier points you mentioned in and around that whole idea of monetizing those relationships, and I think Laurie, when he came on on the podcast, yeah. he's a big believer in 
almost that emotional connection and quite a few guests it's been a reoccurring theme of that emotional connection between fans and clubs and I think Kieran had a famous quote and he said that if if um if blokes loved their wives as much as they loved their team there'd be no divorce <laughs> and um I think I think I think even just on a point like that it's an incredible emotional relationship but I think that where do you almost sit on the whole idea of of how clubs go about monetizing monetizing fans Monetization is a bad word because nobody wants to be taken advantage of. But if you put it in mm. exchange, you know, that if I'm if I'm going to buy, you know, item one, item two, item three, and one of those happens to be something from the club that I think is valuable, well, then God bless it. I want it. You know, I, that's that's what I want to have. And that's really what my partner Simon and I started to develop around digital collectibles. Because, you know, no offense to any mm. and top stuff, but you know, you talk to a lot of guys and girls that had collections and most of them had their parents throw it out. So that's fine. You know, most of them are now in that mobile first generation and just like when their yeah. favorite songs and their favorite photos on there, they want to have their favorite team memories and their favorite player memories, those curated moments on their phone. We give them that ability, you know? So yes, there's monetization going on there, but it's an exchange for something that they desire, something that they want. No, that's awesome, Stephen. I love how you just mentioned digital collectibles because even myself, I'm reading up about a lot of that sort of stuff and, and we're seeing even, even just recently, people like Gary Vee, Mark Cuban, um, all speaking about um, this sort of NFT sort of space and crypto tokens and we've seen NBA Top Shot, which is probably one of the big leaders in the market, stuff like so rare, and and, and we're almost seeing a lot of this whole idea of like I'm I'm someone who grew up in in the school playground in primary school trading my um my Panini yeah. cards. It will be great to know from you just to sort of explain and break down what's really happening in this sort of space and what the future lies lies within this because it's quite topical yeah it is very topical i mean first thing you got to do is just put your mindset in the playground as you mentioned and that wonderful experience that so many people had of trading and swapping the playground you know what digital collectibles automatically do is allows you to do that on a worldwide basis so anybody can trade with somebody in toronto and tokyo our fantastic swap product and other products as easily as you can being back in the playground where there's a difference now is some people use just blockchain like we do other people use blockchain plus crypto and crypto is fine and crypto's got you know some good things to it but it also has some barriers to entry you know the complexity of having a wallet opening up a wallet um there's a lot of crypto cowboys out there i like to call them and they're, they're an interesting group because if you think about it you know everybody knows bitcoin because of its continued rise currently but there's six thousand coins plus that are failures out there. And so people are trying to dump those coins in the same way they used to try to dump Italian Lira when the EU came in, you know? So they're looking at trying to give it to you and get rid of it with you and stuff like that. So there's still some shakeout to do. But the big picture, the big picture is that, you know, this mobile first generation wants those digital collectibles curated and on their phone to keep for mm. And if they make some money off it, because the price goes up like some of the old physical cards from 20 years ago and 30 years ago that makes them even happier no that's brilliant and uh, i think even just on that let's let's give some people some value 
um, just just sort of off the cuff there in terms of your business or sort of things out there. I know obviously Gary's been talking up so rare and I think we have this fascinating community of people who are trying to, I think we've seen it recently over the pandemic, you were like fans out there were trying to gain more knowledge of this sort of space. What sort of products can people look at and sort of get some research into? Yeah, well, they just, you know, have to look at what they feed into crypto and, you know, fantasy sports, then that could be a way for you to go in that regard. Um, if you're into crypto and don't like fantasy sports, there's another product out there called Socios that lets football fans vote on things like locker room color and team bus color and, and stuff like that. Um, NBA Top Shot, you know, they've definitely got some cool things mm. with highlights and stuff like that. We're very proud of, you know, the other night when Arsenal beat Benfica in less than 24 hours, we had a, a complete collection together and available for our fans worldwide to buy, purchase, keep, you know, on their phones and stuff from that evening and stuff. That was like a Guinness World Record, the fastest turnaround of collection and things like that. But we also have gamification aspects on our site. You know, we also have ways that people can win days out with, you know, the Invincibles type of thing or, you know, in the scenes like no be before because of what you mentioned. That's what people want. But they have to, most of them have to do it in a virtual way. So you got to bring in new ideas, new platforms, new ways to execute these things because nobody wants, you know, just like a, a Zoom call with a star because that's like, you know, your grandma can do that now. So you want to have something cool and interesting that's different and unique in the same way it used to be when you gave these physical prizes away that were really cool and different and unique. So you take a look at all these things. Some of them are just photos, you know, and that would be like Rose and Sorare and all of those. Some of them had video capability like us and NBA Top Shot. Some actually go behind the scenes and have some historical stuff. I mean, one of the most fought after ones on our platform is you may remember the 2018 Champions League final with, between uh, Liverpool and Real Madrid. And uh, it's one all, Gareth Bale comes into the game and boom, back of the net with a one bicycle yeah. kick you remember that bicycle yeah i remember watching it on tv with all my friends and literally was gobsmacked at the quality of the uh, gobsmack is the right word right so when real madrid said hey we've got that available you guys want to try it as a digital collectible we're like hell yeah you know so we put it out there and it's been the most watched video which tells me that the people the lucky 100 that bought it and have it in their collection they've showed it time and time again on our platform but, you know, what a beautiful, beautiful goal. But that's just one example of, of the things that we have. You know, we also are the only ones out there that have player autographs, right? So in this COVID environment, you know, mm. no player is going to go up to a group of fans anymore after practice, after a match, and sit there and sign autographs. We just can't do that in this COVID environment, which is a shame, you know? And who knows when it's going to become okay. Well, we went to all the Arsenal men's players and all the Arsenal women's players, and they were all massively cooperative and co-produce these cool things where they're signing their digital autographs right in front of you on your screen. So you have that on your phone, Wow! right? So I, I don't know, I know you're an Arsenal fan. I forget, who's your- He's my what, favorite yeah. player? Who is it? Oof. Oh, I think now it's, it's got to be the young boys, Bukayo Saka and Emil Smith-Rowe. Yeah, <laughs> so I'd like to have all yeah. three of those autographs right in your phone, in your collection for you to keep. And maybe one of them from, you know, a recent match where they had a goal or something like that. I mean, that's what you're going to have in your collection. You curate it to the things that are special for you. But we're the ones that are the enablers that allow you to get that. Because you can no longer go to the stadium and get that kind of stuff yourself. Because maybe you don't have the behind the scenes access that we have to allow the co-creation with the players and stuff. 
So you can create that. And, and maybe, you know, maybe you got doubles of something else that you don't want at this very moment. You can trade that with somebody in San Juan or San Francisco, you know, and that's the cool part. Get something that you do want. And, and even just sort of in terms of what you're doing, Steve, which is obviously quite revolutionary and disruptive and, and really out there. What do, you, what do you believe has been the real response and the real uptake to this kind of stuff? Because I've always felt as though um, people in general with football have always had an issue with tech and have always almost been to a degree maybe a little bit anti-tech. Like we've seen it in regards to football whereby you look at stuff like VAR and yeah. people have their opinion yeah. and a lot of it's more so down to the refereeing decisions as opposed to the actual tech and people's responses, get rid of it, get rid of the tech. Um, I was speaking with um, with Steve Morrow, who was a head oh, of yeah. scouting at yeah. Arsenal, and I saw, and I sort of asked him there what his thoughts are on um, scouting. Is it an art? Is it a science? He was on the, of the view that it has to work together. You have to trust the eye of the scout and the data as well. So you even see with, with other people within the sort of scouting and in-house department, whereby they're still very much going out using the naked eye as opposed to using the data behind the scene. What's been the uptake to the sort of stuff that you're doing? You hit the nail on the head in that tech and sport haven't always had the greatest relationship because people have always viewed it previously as kind of a disruption of the sport, you know, in that regard. Um, it was, it's always driven by younger people, tech is. You know, I don't care what industry you're in, yeah. the younger people drive it. So with our app, which is open to, you can start at the age of four, you know, we're the only app I'm aware of that's out there in digital collectibles where you can start that young. That's because there's no gambling, no, you know, other ads or anything like that around it, stuff like that. But the young people are the ones that you can see are the quick adopters that are swapping the most with friends around the world, with people that they meet, creating their own network and stuff like that. But there is a hiccup the older you get to adapt to that tech. The most interesting thing during this pandemic has been that the older generation has come on board. So somebody described it to me recently as we're no longer a mobile first generation, we're now a mobile first economy, right? Wow. Given that, we've seen an onslaught of older people and quite frankly, they buy more, which is great. They're asking us more about historical stuff, um, whether we can get that on the app. That's why we have a big promotion coming on board with one of the Invincibles because we know that that's attractive. People have been Arsenal followers for a long time. So I think tech, I'm not going to say it's going to be embraced because I won't go that far. But I will say that it has <laughs> forced people to accept tech at a faster rate than had there not been a pandemic. Yes. No, I think I think I think I definitely agree with that. And just almost in terms of the way we're even watching football now, smaller devices. Mm. And I've always been a big believer that and, and even on my podcast intro where, where I have a bit of music playing over mm. there's a line that I say where I'm an Arsenal fan and I, and I say on this line, I couldn't imagine being a kid in primary school now and supporting Arsenal. And I think one of the big things and I think you see it a lot in other sports whereby there's a real fear for the future of sports like golf, like baseball, because this sort of Gen Z, Gen Alpha kind of generation, they have a lot of interest in some of the stuff we've spoken about, the NFTs, the crypto tokens, the digital collectibles, the esports, all this different stuff. And I think it's really important for clubs to almost take this stuff on board and really embed this into what they do. Otherwise, they're going to lose a lot of these fans. 
and, and, and that's not yeah. even looking at how well the teams are performing on the pitch. This is just in terms of young people today. It, it, listen, Paul, you're exactly right. And here's the part that scares me, right? In this environment where the teams yeah. probably need innovation, which is going to be led by technology more than ever, unfortunately, it's in an environment where a lot of them are cutting back on everything except for the core basics to be winners on the pitch. So therefore, that's when they yeah. need partners like us that can go and invent things and create stuff for them to help them figure these things out because they, they can't and they won't do it themselves unless they got some really, really deep pocketed long-term thinking owners that will get them to that point. But there is a, there is a huge prize for anybody that responds to this disruption that we're all facing with COVID in the appropriate way, and comes out of it ahead of the others. They can, you know, as much as a lot of people up and down the country love Man United, there's a whole nother group that don't like Man United because, you know, so all of them. Yeah. Well, I, I like what the guys like at Burnley are trying to do, whether it's going to be successful or not, time will tell. But they're picking up a following as the underdogs, you know, as the guys that are trying to do something different and unique. So maybe in 20 years, they're the Man United. Who knows? Yeah, Burnley, yeah, yeah, he knows. Yeah. No, I think I think that's an interesting point there, and, and and even just on that, I wanted to even ask you, what's what's your thoughts on on what the Inter Miami guys are doing over in the MLS? Because obviously, backed by SoftBank, who are massive sort of VC and tech investors, yeah. what's what's the sort of feeling over over there as well? Yeah, was, actually, I'm quite close to that scenario because I know a lot of people involved in getting that going. I I previously worked in Miami, um, both putting on football matches. Um, as well as, you know, putting on motor racing events. And so I know how the city operates. I know how it works. It's a tricky place. So, you know, what yeah. Beckham and crew had to go through to get that team there, total respect for Beckham, you know, because it is a political minefield to get where they were at. I happened to lunch with a couple of his right-hand people the morning of they were supposed to have their match that was called off the first home match because of COVID. And they were just, they were so deflated at that point, not distraught, but just deflated. You know, they were going to pick themselves up and keep going as they have done and stuff. But I like what they're thinking longer term about how they're trying to the whole Latin community there and be that base for that whole region. They have one big, powerful, high profile team um, getting players throughout the region because I, I've been involved in that kind of football in that region of the world in Miami. And it is pretty dynamic. You know, it's really dynamic. No, that's that's really useful. And even just on there where you mentioned that sort of Latin America sort of region and community there, just going back to what you were saying before in terms of, of clubs and, and and I think you also mentioned earlier as well in terms of um, clubs sort of realising that their global fan bases are growing and expanding. It's hard for them to really reach and touch these people. Do, do you almost, do you feel as though some clubs are really leveraging the sort of players they have to really scale that brand. So I think when I was speaking with Laurie, we kind of mentioned someone like a human son and is Tottenham really using and leveraging his brand to really grow and engage? And, and some of the stuff he mentioned there with the um, sort of the highlights and the, and, the, and the collectibles there, do you believe enough clubs are really leveraging this stuff? And, and who do you believe is, is doing it best? I don't, I don't think anybody is doing it as well as they could right now, with an asterisk, asterisk yeah. being that they're clearly dealing, dealing with a lot of issues right now with the pandemic. 
And so it's not the first thing on their priority ladder. But I think what the shakeout's gonna be, and this is a this is a controversial opinion here. I think the shakeout is gonna be <laughs> high player salaries that probably have to come down because of the pandemic. There's gonna be a negotiation where maybe some of those commercial rights that the team held back previously might go to the players. So in other words, yes, we'll we'll mm. take salary, but I want to be able to make my own digital collectibles and have highlights and do this and do that to put on and stuff. Because the players can take that business risk much quicker, much easier than the teams can, because the teams are focused on the bigger prize of winning the league, winning the cup, you know, all that kind of stuff. No, that's actually a really interesting point because I think I think there was a case where Gareth Bell and Zlatan were looking at their image rights and yeah. being able to, to leverage that and sort of having the, having that dispute there with with EA Sports. So I think um, I think that's an interesting point and, and I think it may be alluded to the fact that am I right in saying that you probably find it easier working and negotiating with the players rather than the actual clubs themselves? Yeah, I'll say it's 50-50. There's some clubs that are good to work with. Yeah. You know, they just bend over backwards to help you try to develop things and there's players that are like that and then there's players that have quite frankly agents that don't know anything so they come in the meeting and they might say okay 10 million pounds what's the question and you're like what no <laughs> so you know there's clubs that are like that as well there's clubs that are first movers that know that they want to catch the edge and there's clubs that are a little bit slower because they're on top of the heap right now but I would be worried if I was on top of the heap right now and not moving quick enough to be making my adjustments for this pandemic. No, I couldn't I couldn't agree with you more because I think like we're almost seeing right now, no match day revenue coming in. Obviously, there's a bit of light into the, the tunnel in terms of fans maybe being let back uh, after the 21st of June. Probably going to see the TV rights sort of shrink and um, commercial revenue isn't really potentially booming due to the pandemic. So clubs have to move fast and think of new and innovative ways to, to to really grow revenue and i guess that's where some of the stuff that we've discussed uh, really really comes through it, it'd also be great to know as well steve um, obviously i know you work across different sports as well what what other sports do you believe that that football can really learn from uh, it, it, sort of in regards to what we've discussed so far yeah i mean you can i I think the NBA for a long time has done it really well, even to the point where, you know, they allow their content to be played with by consumers during the NBA finals, you know, to make some creative stuff. Um, you can see that that's attracted for them a younger audience, a more international audience in that regard. You know, I've, I've seen, I'm not a cricket fan, but I can appreciate when they do the big bash down in Australia and they have, you know, a guy in the booth talking with a player down on the pitch and talking about, you know, somebody, you know, a veteran player that's just tweeted something out. That's kind of connectivity that you never thought yeah. would see happen, might happen. Um, you know, the hundred that Sky was going to come out with along the record lines, that's innovative, that's different, that's unique. I, I came, you know, I used to work very intently in Formula One motor racing. I have the highest regard for Lewis Hamilton and everything that he's doing right now. But they're losing left, right, and center. They got to reinvent themselves with how they present their product. Yes. Um, and so it, it's not it's not just one area, one thing. I mean, you think you take that fan angle in football that you're talking about. You you mentioned it right there. The, the match day revenue has collapsed. But for a big club, that might only mean a third of their total revenue. 
for a small club, you need 90% yeah. of their revenue, you know? So it's going to affect everybody differently. And that's why coming full circle, I think the fan is so important. If you don't focus on the customer in the same way that Amazon focuses on the customer, you're really in trouble. Yeah, no, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. And just, just building on what you mentioned there, and, and I know you used to work on the Champions League yeah. as well. But what's your thought in terms of how we actually market and, 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 and almost leverage the Champions League? Because I think if I was to compare that to anything, I almost see that as the Super Bowl for football. And I, I'd love to know and almost get your take, considering you worked on it and, and the sort of space you're in. What more do you, do you believe we can do with it? Do you agree with me with what I just mentioned there in terms of it's football's equivalent of the Super Bowl? or? Yeah. Listen, it's grown that, it, you know, for a while there, it had a bigger audience than the Super Bowl. And I, and I would contend that it has a bigger global audience than the Super Bowl, where the Super Bowl's audience is concentric to the U.S., right? And I remember in the yeah. early days of Champions League, when I would take partners in there to be, you know, they my partners like Ford were in there for 21, 22 years, right? And we had other partners that came in and out for four years, eight years, you know, in different sponsorship cycles and stuff. And they would always, couldn't understand it, couldn't believe it, that there was nothing that was pan-European that they could connect with all the fans across Europe, except for Champions League. You know, because football was nationalistic, you know, the Bundesliga, La Liga, you know, Serie A type of thing, Premier League. It was so nationalistic. The Champions League brought Europe together, really, as a football community. That's why I'm sitting here with my fingers crossed and my toes crossed about this summer I hope the Euros can go off as planned in multi-cities safely, but I'm not so sure that that dream is going to happen, but I appreciate the fact that they're trying it or wanted to try it. Yeah, I think this is this is a great time to go into my favourite part of the show, which is uh, what the foot are you lying for? So uh, take me away with your uh, two truths, one lie, and we'll find out the answers towards the end. <laughs> okay. Um, all right, number one is my wife's credit card has purchased more football tickets across Europe than any other credit card. Wow. One. Two. <laughs> Two. Carlos Valderrama. Remember the Colombian attacking midfielder? Yeah, yeah. I once had a kick around with him in a Miami parking lot. Miami parking lot. Wow. And the final, Three. final one, yeah? Bruce Grabelar, remember good old Bruce? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Bruce, I can't forget him, yeah. Wobbly legs. He once, yeah, he's a legend. He once cut my grass. Oh, those are some great ones. Um, okay, kick about with Carlos, Miami car park. Uh, let me guess. You had, you had a bit of lunch with uh, with Bex and the SoftBank guys, and you just sort of just sort of thought you'd just have a little plane in the car park. Um, I'll go with that one is true. Um, Bruce oh, cutting your grass. Um, I don't know why, but your wife's one just sounds like something you'd see in like a Guinness World Record book, and they just send you like a. <laughs> Uh, I don't know, like you see like a data guy, so that one's it's just so random. Um maybe there's a twist to that. Maybe it's I don't know, like the second. Oh, it's just so I'm gonna go that's that's true. 
and the Bruce one is a lie, but we'll find that towards the end. But just, just before I asked you for those statements, you kind of mentioned how sponsors kind of sort of viewed football as very nationalistic in terms of obviously the leagues and how they love the concept and the whole idea of the Champions League. And I actually spoke with, um, on episode 10, I had Richard who actually used to work on, on the Champions League sponsor for PlayStation. And, um, and, 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 and he mentioned a similar sort of point to the point you mentioned there. Do, do you, are, you, are you of the camp whereby you pro a European Super League and do you believe that a lot of people within the space you're in are, are quite pro that because of of of, um, of the sort of things you mentioned there in regards to that sort of global appeal um, across an entire season? That's a, that's a tough one for me and probably a, a two-point discussion, but the bottom line for me is I was really looking forward, as I mentioned earlier, to the Euros being pan-European because I really wanted to see how the European football fans enjoyed it, engaged with it, yeah. really got into it in a special way. Obviously, we're COVID disrupted now, so who knows what it's going to look like. But I think they can coexist. And I've seen a lot of these plans for the quote-unquote Super League. And the early ones always kind of killed off the national leagues in exchange for the Super League. Yeah. And I sort of think they can potentially coexist. I mean, you've got the infrastructure of the club itself, of the stadium, you know, of fans and stuff. I think there's a way you can make it work for everybody and, and hopefully elevate the game at every level. Yeah, I think I think um, I think that's an interesting one because um just even speaking with Kieran recently and him it was sort of goading me because obviously Arsenal in the Europa League and and he was kind of saying that if you yeah. if you look at in terms of like for me as a fan wanting to go and, and, and watch a game of Arsenal at the Emirates which I've done uh, loads of time for all my sins um like you almost look forward yeah. to seeing the likes of the Mbappe's the Messi's all on show when you're playing like he sort of mentioned the the third best side in Albania you kind of have to reduce the prices. The fans don't really enjoy it as much like myself. So I guess this sort of move to a European Super League, and I think even even like a fan like myself, I thoroughly enjoy Champions League at knockout level. And I kind of like how the coefficients changed a couple of years ago, where we now see um, like a PSG and a Man United both in the same, same sort of groups together, making the group stage and, and those games that were previously almost saved for the latter stages sort of earlier on um but i just think it's a case of how how they can make all of this stuff work because obviously with football we have a big sort of fixture fixture congestion issue because um i think uh, i had rowena yeah. in episode 12 yeah. who used to organize the euros and the olympics and, and and she mentioned the line which was um everyone wants to put on their event and host their event and have the maximum amount of people watching it and paying for it across the world. And that's where you get FIFA and UEFA and the Premier League and the FA and all these different bodies sort of competing to have their events all on. So, got to cross our fingers, yeah. eh? Yeah, absolutely. No, you're spot on, spot on. Yeah, and, and just sort of um, going forward in terms of you, I'd love to know which form of tech you're most excited about and the the potential it has to really revolutionise football. Obviously, we sort of alluded to and mentioned earlier that um, football potentially isn't ready for this and there's still a lot of hurdles we need to overcome. Like we've seen stuff like wearable technology work in terms of 
refereeing and goal line tech. We're, we're struggling a little bit with VAR. We're seeing AI play a big role in regards to player recruitment and scouting. But which sort of tech are you sort of most excited for to really change the game, whether that's for fans, whether that's in terms of on the pitch, off the pitch? Yeah. So, I mean, it's an interesting question because, like, obviously I'm in love with digital collectibles right now and everything that's happening in that market. It's such a dynamic market. But beyond that, what really gets me excited, a couple things my business partner Simon and I have been part of and tested and been with consumers, everything from, you know, haptics to AR, VR, drones, mm. all that kind of stuff. What I really like is just if, if I could... The one that we tested, tried, that I thought was really cool was, you know, where if you, Paul, you were sitting in, you know, Emirates Stadium in row, you know, 32 seat C. Yeah. And I could have a VR experience, AR experience. So it was like I was sitting in 32B right next to you. There was no latency because of 5G that's now available. And we could just both sit there and watch the game live. And there's a little bit of that. I mean, you can see, you know, BTs watch together with my friend Paul over at Senior. Yeah. Um, you know, they do a really nice job in that regard. Um, but that's just one step. That's kind of like, you know, the one step that's going. That's like, you know, Blockbuster before, you know, Netflix is going to thing. And I think that's what you're going to see very quickly that this whole pandemic has accelerated a lot of people recognizing that, you know, what there's a whole host of, and I'm talking billions, billions of fans out there that aren't being catered for correctly. So yeah, there's still a lot of the tech that's going to help the players. There's still a lot of tech that's going to help in the stadium. But that's if you can make that 60,000 seat stadium hold 600,000 virtual fans without putting one more brick in, boy, what a return on investment that's going to have, huh? Yeah, no, definitely, Steve. And uh, I forgot to ask as well, like, obviously I know you mentioned at the start that for you, it's, it's more of a business and you enjoy the business more than, than the actual sport do you follow a team um do you support a team or well this is first of all it's a business you that was the question you asked me i am a fan and uh i remember when i first moved to england my lawyer who got me legal in this country he was a director up at coventry yeah and he asked if i would come up and you know be part of and come to a match i thought well why not and then i didn't know the whole experience and what it was all about and so I'm sitting in the director's box and the other team that they're playing was a team from London called Tottenham Hotspur. Mr. Alan Sugar comes and sits right next to me and my son. And my son is a squiggly, wiggly seven-year-old at the time. You know, he's not wearing a tie and sitting in the director's box, what you're supposed to do and everything like that. And then of course, halftime comes and we go in the director's area and, and we, um, you know, have lunch and, Mr. Sugar turns to my son and he says, what do you think of the game so far, young man? And my son says, oh, I don't know who owns that other team, but I'd sort them out right away. They're not playing well. <laughs> so you can imagine at the end of the game, I didn't want to have any conversation. I just wanted to get out of there quickly. And then I saw a bunch of fans fighting. And I just thought, love football, but I don't love enough team A or team B to get punched in the mouth, you know? So that's why I just kind of started business side a little bit more than than the football the hooliganism yeah i can very much appreciate yeah well i can appreciate top football you know and that's that was the joy of being associated with champions league for so long quite frankly. 
No, that's brilliant, that's brilliant. But yeah, it's now come to the time to uh, reveal your answers to uh, what the foot are you lying for? Yeah, well, I, you know, unfortunately, my wife's credit card has purchased more football tickets across Europe than any other credit card because with my old company and all the clients we had, at one time we had three of the four clients in Champions League. Yeah. We had to purchase tickets for Ford Spain, Ford Italy, Ford France for all those home matches through her credit card because of the way the system was set up then. So that's why a lot of them love me. They actually love my wife better than me because she would pay all of her bills on ahead of time and stuff like that. Oh, I should have known that. I should have known that. Oh, I should have known that. Schoolboy, because Richard, Richard um, obviously was at PlayStation and he used to mention stories right. of tickets for the um for the oh yeah i should have known that one but yeah talk to me about the others yeah uh the others you know carlos valderrama um he came up with deportivo cali to play in a cup tournament that i was a young organizer for very young and um he was just out in the parking lot i didn't know who he was this guy with his big hair and he just kicked a ball toward me you know and I kicked it back to him. And next thing I knew, him and I were sitting there for 30 minutes, just trying to not make each other. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, just enjoy. And I really didn't know who he was at the time. You know, I knew he was somebody on Deportivo Cali, but I didn't know exactly who he was. But found out later. No, that's so you know, when I when I moved into this one neighborhood in, in England, uh, long story short, I had my father-in-law coming to visit me. And so you're you know you're fixing the house up, you're painting everything, you're finishing everything. And my lawnmower broke down and I had this like mohawk right down the middle of my lawn that needed to be cut for it to be perfect for my father-in-law to arrive the next day. So I couldn't ask the 80-year-old guy that lived next door or the 90-year-old guy that lived next to him. So I went and asked the other younger guy that I didn't know, you know, who he was other than he was younger. And without missing a heartbeat, he jumped on his lawnmower, he drove down to my place, and he cut my lawn for me free of charge. And my wife said, you realize you just had Bruce Grobler cut your grass? Wow. So I'm afraid, Paul, yeah. your question are true. All, all, for, all for your accurate. Oh, you podcast. I really often catch people. Oh, you've done. You catch you out, Steve. You've done me on my own show. I'm never going to invite you back on. <laughs> oh, Steve, it's one's meant to be a line. You've just completely done me there. <laughs> Sorry. No, Paul. that's brilliant, Steve. That's brilliant. I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed this, and I'm, and I'm sure people are going to enjoy this as well. But. We like to end the show with uh, the what the footy question. So what the footy needs to happen or change within your space? Football teams, clubs need to remember the importance of fans and really get back into serving the fans what they deserve. No, I think, I think that's powerful and I think that's really important. And, and that's the main reason why this podcast exists to sort of bridge the gap between everybody and uh, Yes, Steve, absolute pleasure having you on the podcast today. It's love, lovely to go into to, to, to tech within football. First time you've ever explored it and sort of get to know more about your world. Just sort of let the listeners know where they can find out more about you, find out more about fantastic download apps and, uh, and so forth. Yeah, so if they go on any app store or just type in fantastic swap, download our app and we'll give them eight free packs to play with so they can start to understand the digital collectibles game straight away get some of their favorite arsenal men's and women's players you know they'll really enjoy that and if they want to look a little bit deeper into us just go on to the fantastic swap website fantasticswap.io and check us out take some of our quizzes if you've got some great football knowledge 
um, enter some of our contests, maybe win a great virtual day with the Invincibles. We'll go from yeah. there. No, that's brilliant. Yeah, Steve, thank you again for coming on the podcast and uh, all the best with your, uh, with your venture, man. Wow, what an episode just then. Guys, please, please, please do rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and be sure to download Fantastic Swap in your app store. I want to shout out a few super listeners who this week helped me come up with a few guest suggestions before I go away and do my work behind the scenes. Um, so shout out to Mike, shout out to Louis, Jacob, Babek. Uh, appreciate you guys and all the listeners that tune in every fortnight to listen to the What The Footy podcast. Make sure you take care of yourself, everybody. Peace and love. What the footy? What the footy? What the footy? What the footy? Knew some other guys liked me, but I didn't know it was to that extent. Imagine being a kid in primary school, now it's a foot in Powerful people, and I think they need to recognise that, but then also they need to be represented the right way. Sport in general is nothing without fans. Uh, based on you know, one single source of revenue alone, that being the TV. Let's just win this to appease the fan. Oh, now they need to see my birth certificate. Hmm. Honey! Where do we keep the birth certificates? Why? Buying socks. Socks. I'll check upstairs. It's easy to be unsafe online. You're the best. Now it's easy to help protect yourself. Norton 360 with LifeLock gives you device security, a VPN for online privacy, and identity theft protection. All in one. Opt in to cyber safety. Save 25% or more off your first year at norton.com news. Minute Maid slushies are back at McDonald's. And if you'd like to thank me for that information, I'll gladly take a slushie. It's more than a drink. It's a McDonald's drink. Right now, treat yourself to a small Minute Maid slushie, like the new strawberry watermelon flavor for $1.59. Or try small McCafe frappes and smoothies for just 2 bucks. Price and participation may vary. Limited time only. Minute Maid is a trademark of the Coca-Cola Company.